Well, we are inching ever close, closer to Christmas, which if you know me, you know that makes me very, very happy. I love Christmas. Getting a little bit more excited each day, and I know that some of you are just as excited. So I know there are some of you here, you are the Christmas diehards. You go all in on Christmas. And so we know that some of you, you have had your decorations up now for probably more than a month. Where are you? Come on. That's right. There's no shame in that. None whatsoever. You have already finished your shopping. My guess is most of the gifts are probably all wrapped. Your Christmas Day menu is set in stone. You have your plan for being here next week for our what? Our morning combined Christmas Eve service. Don't want to forget that. You don't want to show up in the evening and have the doors locked on you. You've probably invited some folks to be here. You are ready to go. Now, normally this is my group and you are my people. I'm a little bit behind this year, but normally that would be me. Now, on the other side, we know we have our Christmas procrastinators. I won't ask you to show your hands this morning. You know who you are. We are a week out. You haven't done much shopping yet. You may still need to pull your decorations and the wrapping paper out of storage. You've probably not thought about your Christmas Day menu. And you're probably a little bit surprised and pretty happy that I reminded you that we are having a Christmas Eve morning service next week. All right, nobody can say we didn't tell you. And even right now you're saying, oh man, who should I invite to this service? Who can I bring along? Now it's okay, we know life is busy. We know you are experts in this and you have an entire week to pull it off. And now there may be one other category of people that we fall into. They're in their own special category. And I'm not saying it's normally the dads, but it sort of normally is some dads. Notice I said some, not all. And you are still waiting for Christmas morning to come so that you can see what you got your kids for Christmas this year. (laughs) You don't have to raise your hand. No confessions today. But no matter what group you belong to, we love you. We are happy you're with us today. We look forward to continuing to celebrate this most amazing season with you. And now along those lines, we had some great Christmas music this morning and Christmas passages. We are going to continue with a Christmas theme by looking at a familiar Christmas passage as we prepare our hearts for the celebration of the coming of our Savior to the world and what that means. So as we dig into the Word today... It's what I said earlier, we need to be careful that we don't allow the familiar to become ordinary. We're going to look at a familiar passage of scripture, but what I want to challenge you to do is to take a fresh, faith-filled look at this scripture. See, sometimes there are truths in God's word that are straightforward and obvious. They're very obvious exactly what they mean, but yet they seem somewhat improbable. And so we often don't simply accept those truths for what it is, and rather we end up coming up with all sorts of interpretations and and, uh, explanations. And what can happen is the church can begin to water down the meaning of certain verses to something that's just a little bit easier for us to believe and for us to accept, something that's just a little bit easier and makes sense in our minds instead of simply accepting truth as it's written and figuring out how we play our part in its fulfillment. And so we will see an incredible promise in, this, in these verses this morning. 
And it's a promise that when you study scripture, you find it repeated all over the place in different ways and times. And the question that we must ask ourselves this morning is, will we truly believe God's word and give ourselves to playing our part in it? Or will we simply add this to many other verses that the church quotes, but I'm not entirely convinced they actually believe? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Isaiah chapter 9. And we are going to cover one of the topics today that I am most passionate about. Absolutely most passionate about. And the reason for that is I believe this is one of the most needed and necessary topics for the church to learn about and believe today. And so if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 9, I'll give you a second to get there. Have the verses up on the screen as well. For this particular passage, we're going to look at the New King James Version. We'll look at verses 6 and 7, and then we'll go from there. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 prophesy to the coming of the Messiah approximately 700 years before this prophecy was fulfilled and Jesus taking on human flesh and coming to this earth. And this is a common Christmas time passage, and there are so many things that you can teach from just these two verses. Now, often around this season, what you will see is a sermon series that's focused on the different names that are listed for the Messiah in verse 6. And it speaks to all of these different aspects of his nature. You'll see that. That's very common. Maybe we'll do that in a future Christmas season. But for today, what I want to focus on is a different part of the verse that speaks more to God's intentions and his plans with the coming of the Messiah. Because in these two verses in Isaiah, we see God's intentions and his plans revealed in that the Messiah would come and would establish a government that would have no end to its increase. So the first question to ask is, what is that government. What is the government here? Well, the word you can, can be translated as dominion, power, or sovereign, sovereignty through legal authority. And so verse 7 goes on to tell us that the Messiah, the Savior, was to be a sovereign king who would rule on David's throne. And this concept around God's government established on earth becomes a cornerstone of New Testament teaching and the message of Jesus himself with his proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. So in Isaiah, we see that the Messiah would come, and when he came, he would establish his government. You could use the term kingdom there. He is the foundation of it. He is the cornerstone of that kingdom. He would come and he would establish it. He would inaugurate it, and it will rest upon his shoulders. And what is this great promise for the kingdom, for this government that he would establish The promise is one of increase. The promise is one of increase. The Messiah will inaugurate the kingdom, but it is fully intended to increase and grow 
In fact, the verse says there will be no end to the increase of this government and the peace that it brings. And so simply put, to translate verse 7, you could say that the Messiah would come and he would establish an ever-increasing kingdom here on this earth. He would inaugurate it and it would be a government and a kingdom whose increase there would be no end to. Now, lest we think that this message is just some sort of wishful thinking or exists in some future time period, note that the verse specifically calls out that it's from that time forward. And so what was that time? Verse 6 tells us it was the time of the Messiah. It establishes the time frame for this. It establishes the when. The when is when we are given a child, when the son is born. Now, this message of increasing government established by the Messiah is very familiar language seen throughout the New Testament and especially throughout the ministry of Jesus. So he came and he established his government. He established his kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. It's one that can be entered into and experienced through our new birth. But though it is a spiritual kingdom, the effects would extend into the world, bringing the dominion, power, and sovereign reign of Christ that begins in people's hearts and lives, but permeates into society as the church plays their part in taking the kingdom to the world around them. So Jesus came and he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven is near. That is the overarching message of Christ's ministry. It was the gospel of the kingdom, translated the good news. Gospel means good news. The gospel, the good news that Jesus revealed was that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was near, meaning it was now in reach because Jesus came near. And it's his kingdom And he established it. Jesus didn't preach the gospel. He was the gospel in the flesh for man to experience and know. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about this idea of progressive revelation. In other words, more and more truth was revealed over time through the Bible. So in the Old Testament, you may have a seed of the truth. And then that seed in the New Testament fully sprouts and becomes a plant where we can see everything with it. This is another example of this with the truth that was revealed in Isaiah being just one little tidbit being further and fully revealed in the New Testament and in the life of Christ. The gospel of the kingdom was the central message of Christ and the message of the early church, and it must be the message that we preach today. We must proclaim the full message of the gospel, the entire message of the good news of Jesus for our world. And so let's go deeper and let's start by answering this question. What is the full gospel message? What is the full gospel message? Very simple. It is the gospel of the kingdom. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4, we'll read verse 17 and then we'll jump down to 23 and 24. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. 
So Matthew chapter four records the beginning of Jesus's public ministry, and it introduces the central message of his ministry, and that is the kingdom is near. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. He demonstrated the gospel. It's the good news. And that good news was the good news of the kingdom. Now, don't miss that last word. That is absolutely vital for us to recognize this morning. See, I would propose that many churches today have replaced the gospel of the kingdom with a gospel of salvation. And there is a massive difference between the two. See, the gospel of salvation preaches that Jesus died to save you so that you can spend eternity in heaven when you die. Now, you may be saying, well, yeah, that's true, right? Absolutely, 100% true. It's true, it's vital. Eternity is a really long time. We as the church must have winning souls as a priority in our lives. But herein lies the problem is that while salvation is one aspect of the kingdom, it's not the entire message of the kingdom. It's not the full gospel message by itself. A gospel that speaks only to the afterlife makes receiving Christ almost like a finish line. And so what happens is you have many people in the church today who accept Christ, they feel like they've finished their race, and they just kind of say, well, I guess I just go try to live a good life, and, you know, I'll go to heaven someday. But Jesus did not preach and didn't tell us to preach a gospel of only salvation. He told us to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And in the gospel of the kingdom, you see that salvation is not the finish line, but rather the starting line. And through salvation, we enter into a life of relationship with the king, advancing his kingdom here on the earth, and then we get to spend eternity in his presence. The gospel of the kingdom certainly contains salvation. It is one key aspect of it, being forgiven of our sins, becoming new creations in Christ. That is certainly at the center of the gospel of the kingdom, but there is so much more to it. Salvation is the entryway into the kingdom, but the kingdom message goes far beyond the idea of being saved to go to heaven someday and rather recognizes that Christ opens heaven to us today. Salvation is the starting line where we began our race, and it's a race to bring the transformational power of the kingdom to a world that's in desperate need of a savior and a king like Jesus. This was his message. Jesus didn't die so that we could just go to heaven and be with him someday. Jesus came and died to bring his kingdom and its power to the earth in our day. And that is what Jesus proclaimed, and that is what the early church proclaimed. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Acts 4, 29 to 31, I think we'll have them up there. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so in Acts chapter 4, you will see that Peter and John are arrested for preaching the gospel and healing a crippled man. And they are in prison, they are threatened, and they are threatened by the same people who had Christ executed. Now they are ultimately released, but they are told that they are not to preach the gospel anymore. And so what do they do? I love this. They don't pray for safety. 
They don't go hide in a dark corner. Rather, they pray for boldness to do what they were just arrested for. And notice that prayer, the prayer they pray isn't just boldness to preach. It is a prayer that God would do healing, signs, and wonders through them. Why? Because they were preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing, signs, and wonders are all part of that glorious kingdom. That's why they prayed that God would do those things through them because they were proclaiming not just be saved and go to heaven someday, but rather they were proclaiming there is a king who has come and everything in his kingdom is now available to you today. Whether you need salvation, whether you need healing, whatever it is, the king has come and he has brought his kingdom. In Romans 15, verses 17 to 19, the apostle Paul writes, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. So here Paul says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel. And it wasn't just in telling people that they can go to heaven someday, But he says, through the power of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders. In other words, Paul was saying that if you want to fully proclaim the gospel message, it will come with power, signs, and wonders. Why? Because he preached the gospel of the kingdom. And those things are part of the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The world desperately needs the church and the body of Christ to walk in the power of God. They've heard us talk, 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 but it's time for us to now walk the walk. It's time for us to not settle for simply telling them a message of, hey, say this prayer and you can go to heaven someday, but rather we proclaim that the king has come and because he has come, everything that is part of his kingdom is available to you and available to this world. See, while a gospel of salvation focuses only on being saved and going to heaven someday, the gospel of the kingdom is about restoration of all that was lost. The gospel of the kingdom is about restoration of all that was lost when man chose sin. It includes salvation and that we can spend an eternity with the Father, but it includes so much more. It includes restoration of what was lost when man chose sin. The gospel of the kingdom is the message that Jesus is restoring what was lost both now and for all of eternity. The verse in Isaiah and the preaching of Christ and the early church reveal God's intentions for the transformational power of his kingdom to invade the earth. See, I would propose to you today that what was in the beginning is what is to be now. The Bible says that God is not a man, that he should change his mind. So let's go back to the very beginning. What was the original commission giving to man? What did God originally tell mankind to do? Go ahead, call it out if you know. All the way back at the beginning, Adam and Eve, what what did God tell them to do? Yeah, be fruitful, multiply, and what? Subdue the earth. That's not a word you hear much in the church today. Subdue the earth. 
That was the original commission given to man, the original thing that God told man to do. In other words, that was God revealing his very intentions for mankind that they would go forth, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. His first command reveals his intentions. Now, some people may say, well, wasn't that lost because man sinned? Right? Well, we're not going to be able to accomplish that anymore because man sinned. Well, I disagree with that. How many people believe that God knows all things? This isn't a trick question, right? Yeah. Some people think I'm setting you up here, right? We know that God knows all things. So this is what's interesting, is the God who knows all things gave that commission to Adam, knowing that Adam would fall and he would sin. So people that say, well, you know, this fruitful multiply and subduing the earth, that's not for us anymore. That was lost when Adam sinned. No, absolutely not. Because God, when he gave Adam that command, already knew that Adam was going to sin. Even after Adam sinned, God never took back that original commission because it wasn't based on Adam's obedience, but rather it was based on the obedience of Christ Jesus who would come thousands of years later and would fully obey the Father in going to the cross. So the first Adam would fall short, but the father knew that the last Adam would not. And so he gave mankind that call. And God still fully intends for man to fulfill what he originally told us to do. So much so that Jesus actually renews the original commission in the Great Commission. Because Jesus saying, go and make disciples of all nations, is simply Jesus saying, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. God's intentions have never changed. The original commission is the same as the great commission, which must serve as the church's mission. In fact, I believe we are better positioned to fulfill this than Adam was, because what God, when God restores, he actually makes it better than new. See, God didn't just restore mankind, he restored and then he made it even better because he gave us the Holy Spirit. Understand that we have a massive advantage over Adam because we have God inside of us. If you've accepted Christ, you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through his spirit living inside of you. So we must go forth to make disciples, not just in, but of all nations. And we must go forth to be fruitful, multiply and subdue. You say, well, what does that mean? Fruitful, it means we go into this world expecting God through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring fruitfulness to everything that we put our hands to. We can believe that God will bring fruitfulness to everything that we put our hands to. Whether it's you at your job, a hobby, just with your friends, you can believe that God wants to bring fruitfulness to you in your career, in everything that you do. It says to multiply. It's not just having children, though that's part of it, but it's multiplying everything that God puts into our hands. It's multiplication of the work of our hands. And then subdue. It's the word that you don't hear a lot in the church today, but it means to bring the earth into the domain, the reign of God and his government, his kingdom. See, God still intends for man to complete our first And still most important assignment, to partner with Christ, to serve as his ambassadors, to continue the work that he began in bringing restoration to the world in which we live. We are those bringing restoration to this world. 
The gospel of the kingdom was always two parts. It was proclamation and demonstration. All of the verses we read contain that theme. Proclamation that the good news of Christ's kingdom has come. It's available. And then to demonstrate what that means. It leads to conversions where Christ takes the worst of sinners and changes them and makes them brand new. Anybody want to testify to that one today? Come on, I've told you many times, right there in that spot was when God took me, a wicked person, running from him as fast as I could, and in an instant changed everything. The gospel of the kingdom includes conversions. It's miracles to bring healing and deliverance to sick bodies and minds. Healing is included in the gospel message because Christ paid for it. It's part of who he is. It's in his nature to heal. It's miraculous multiplication of our finances and the work of our hands as we sow into his kingdom. It includes wisdom and knowledge from heaven to impact our communities and each and every sphere of influence, education, business, entertainment, government, and more. It's the gospel of the kingdom permeating all of society, permeating everything. We should live in faithful expectation that this is God's will. And if we will proclaim this truth and step out in faith, we will see it done. His kingdom will truly come and his will will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. God's a good father. He doesn't tell us to pray for something he's not willing to answer. That's an amazing thing. He tells us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. So if he tells us to do that, he is willing to answer that prayer if we will pray it and we will step out in it. We can truly see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We must do our part in taking the gospel of the kingdom outside the four walls of this church and seeing it influence every segment of this community. The world is in desperate need of God's people to fulfill their true calling. See, the church's main message cannot be escapism and being rescued from the world. It must be in alignment with the very message of Christ of bringing restoration to this fallen world. We are not called to be rescued, but rather to serve as the rescuers. I think the church has got this backwards a little bit in our day. See, God intends to do what he said he would do, and his plans And the gospel of the kingdom are far more glorious than many in the modern church, at least in the Western world, I believe are willing to accept. I want to take a quick flyby of a few more ideas from scripture. And they're in alignment with this increasing nature of God's government and kingdom. Now to save time, I'm not going to read the whole chunks of scripture here. I'll point you to them so you can study them later. Now if you would go to Daniel chapter 2 you would see Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon at that time, and he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees a statue. Its head is made of gold. Its chest and arms are made of silver. Its belly and thighs are made of bronze. Its feet and iron are made of iron and clay. Now, in that dream, during that fourth kingdom, it says that a rock, identified as not cut by human hands, came and struck that statue, breaking it into pieces, and the pieces blew away into the wind, but it says the rock endured and became a mountain filling the entire earth. You say, that's sort of strange. What's that mean? Thankfully, Daniel helps us understand it. And he identifies this statue as representing four successive kingdoms. First was Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was in power at the time. Babylon was the world power. 
The next, it says, would be the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greek, and then the Roman Empire. If you know your history, you know these things happen exactly how the Bible prophesied it. And Jesus, the rock, when did he come to earth? During the Roman period, during the Roman Empire. And this shows us that the kingdoms of the earth, the most powerful kingdoms, cannot stand against the rock from heaven. But rather, Christ's kingdom came, and it will endure. And not only will it endure, but it will grow into a mountain filling the earth. Every one of these kingdoms will fade away. Everything that man puts into place will fade away. But the rock has come. It has been established. It is growing, and it will fill the earth. Now, I know some of you are sitting here, and you have been taught that this is a future promise. But if you study Daniel 2, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, zero, zip, zilch, nothing in those verses that point to anything other than it being the time frame of the coming of the stone that's identified in Christ. Nowhere does it say that the rock will come and that it will grow and that it will shrink and then it will someday grow real big during a millennium. It does not teach that at all. There's absolutely nothing that teaches that. You have to force your belief system onto those verses to believe that. Rather, if you accept the clear testimony of Scripture, you must believe that the rock has come exactly when Daniel identified it would, and that it has blown away these empires, and it has been established, and that it's time for us to believe that that rock is going to grow into a mountain filling the earth. It is an ever-increasing rock filling the earth, which to me sounds a lot like a government whose increase will not end. Now, Jesus reinforces this idea, lest you think this is just sort of like, all right, I know sometimes there's prophecies in the Old Testament, they're kind of hard, and you know, maybe that's not the right interpretation. Jesus teaches the exact same thing. He teaches on the parable of the mustard seed, contained in all three synoptic gospels. And Jesus said that though the kingdom would begin as just a teeny tiny little mustard seed, it would grow into the largest of the garden plants. Jesus then said the kingdom, his government, was like leaven, which was introduced into the dough, into the dough just a little tiny bit of leaven introduced into the dough, and it reproduces and reproduces until it fills the dough. And a tiny little kingdom would reproduce and fill the earth. Jesus proclaimed that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail. It's a promise that Christ would build his church directly on top and displace satanic strongholds and that his church would prevail in the earth. Building implies expansion. Do we honestly believe that today, church, that Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail? Do we believe it today? See, Jesus told us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth like it is in heaven. It's a prayer for the reality of God's kingdom, perfectly expressed in heaven, to come and supplant the inferior realities of the fallen world here on earth. Many believers today, and you know there's many because you can go to a Christian bookstore and you can see book after book, but many believers look at the world today and they see only darkness and they allow this to form their belief system. We must come into agreement with God's word and not the world. See, we have believers who take the evening news and they try to form their theology around the events they are seeing instead of allowing God's word to form their belief system. 
And when we do that, we come into agreement with the God of this age because we allow the world to tell us what we should believe about Christ and his kingdom instead of the plain testimony of scripture. And if we're not careful, we can make the exact same mistake that Adam made. Because Adam didn't just disobey God. Rather, Adam came into alignment with the voice of the enemy against the word of his father. Recognize that this morning. Why was Adam's sin so egregious? It wasn't just that Adam said, God said not to eat this fruit. I'm just going to eat it. No, it was God said not to eat this fruit. The enemy says I can eat this fruit. I'm coming into alignment with the enemy against the word of my father. And we have so many believers today who look at the evening news and they allow that to form their theology, the God of this age, instead of the God of the universe. Many in the church today have accepted a belief system of darkness, doom, and gloom to which Satan himself says amen. But I don't want the enemy of my soul to be able to say amen to anything that I believe or preach because he is defeated. He will always be defeated. He is defeated now and for all of eternity. And there is coming a day when that snake will grovel before the Lord in terror before he's cast into a lake of fire. He is defeated. The church is victorious. We are a victorious people serving a victorious God who has made us a victorious church. Isaiah 60, 1 to 3, it's plastered on both sides of the stage. It says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And so once again, we see Isaiah prophesying of the coming Messiah, the light of the world who was to come. And he prophesied that when he came, his glory would shine upon his people. And though thick darkness would cover the people, the Lord's light and glory would shine upon us, in us, and through us. And it says nations and kings will come to that light. See, I believe this is fulfilled through the glorious bride, the church that's spoken of in Ephesians 5. Now, once again, you have people that say that this verse has to be for a millennium. It's not for our day. But once again, study Isaiah 60, and you'll see that there is absolutely nothing in those verses that implies it's for any other time than the time when the Messiah came, when Jesus came. It's for the church age after the coming of the light. And I proclaim today that though darkness seems to cover our land, there is a light that is shining, there is a church that is awakening, and that church will rise up to become the glorious bride. And when it does, nations and kings will come to that light. You say, what does that mean? It means that the church's calling is to be the most influential entity in the world. We should be the most influential entity in the world. It's in other words, it's that God's light is shining in us through us so much that the glory of the kingdom is so radiant in the church that God's wisdom and understanding and power flows so well through his people that people of the world look and they say, whatever it is that they have, we need it. I don't understand what's going on, but they seem to know things that we don't know. They seem to walk in wisdom that we don't know. They seem to be able to fix things that we can't fix. It's the calling of God to shine so radiantly through his church 
that the world looks at it and they say, man, we need that. Like a bug to the light, they just kind of come, except we're not going to zap them. He has created us to be a glorious bride without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. I've heard people say that in the last days, the church has to fall apart and be a mess, and then Jesus comes and rescues us. But it says that Jesus died to make us a radiant bride without spot, wrinkle, or any other blemish. The only way that Jesus can receive a radiant, glorious bride unto himself is if that bride is indeed radiant and glorious when Jesus returns. And so the church is not going to fall apart. The church is going to get this thing together and we are going to be that glorious bride because Jesus died to receive a glorious bride unto himself. Now, if the church wants to monkey around and mess around and be a mess, then maybe just maybe Jesus is going to say, well, I ain't returning in your generation then because he's coming to get a glorious bride. It's time for us to get it together and be what he called us to be. We are not called to hang on until Christ rescues us. We are called to go forth and destroy every stronghold of the enemy. To bring the power of God to people. To see the captives set free. To advance the kingdom into every segment of our community and our society. We are called to partner with Christ in rescuing the world. And not to be rescued from it. Now to accomplish this. It's not easy because we know that all of these things are plastered in front of us all the time. The darkness, the challenges. We must be a prophetic people. To see past the challenges of the world, and I am not downplaying them this morning. I recognize that there is a wounded enemy who, just like a wounded animal, is going absolutely crazy because he knows his time is short. So I'm not downplaying those things. But the thing that we must recognize is that Jesus has an answer for every single challenge that this world faces. He has an answer for every single challenge that this world faces. We must be a prophetic people. Michelangelo was once asked about a sculpture of an angel. And they asked him, how did you do it? How do you take this block of stone and turn it into this glorious statue of this angel? And Michelangelo's reply was simply, I saw the angel in the stone and I carved until I set it free. We must be a people who see the angel in the stone. We must be a people who see past where people are, the faults that they have in their lives, the sinfulness in their lives. We must be a people who see past the surface issues and we see into people's hearts and lives until we see their God-given identity and destiny inside of them. And we must be the ones who come and carve until we set them free. In the same manner, we must be a people who look at our community and look at the region where God has placed us and say the exact same thing. And we use the keys of the kingdom to carve until we see transformation and we see that region's destiny released from the stone. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the calling on our lives. If the worship team wants to go ahead and come on up. To take this message and this power to our sphere of influence. See, we have the promise of God's word revealing his intentions. This is what he desires to do. We have the power of the kingdom through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so the only question is, 
do we have the perseverance as the church to give our lives to this one thing? We are called to be world changers. And it starts by changing the world around us in which we have been strategically placed for such a time as this. You say, why are you alive right now as opposed to any other time in history? It's because God knew who he created you to be. And he has placed you in this place and this time in history to make the greatest impact for his kingdom that you could make. You are uniquely created to bring the kingdom at this place and this time in history. And we are called to partner together to change our community and change our region for him. See, what you do with the kingdom during the week is every bit as important as what we are doing now. And I believe church services are so important, right? I I fear that in the United States, we've gotten really casual with church attendance, where it's okay that I'll just go once or twice a month and kind of check in and see how things are going. I believe God wants us to come together every single week because he's building something in us as a body. And you are a uniquely created and vital part of this body. And so I encourage all of us to in 2020, then to 23 and going into 2024, let's make Sundays our time together. Sunday mornings are family time. This is when we come together and we encourage each other. We love on each other. We speak destiny over each other. We pray for each other. We hear the message that God has for us as his body. And then it's preparation for what he's calling us to during the week. He wants to prepare you on Sunday so that you can take that kingdom out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. We got to play our part in this. We are called to advance the kingdom in Littlestown and the surrounding communities and region. So as individuals, we should be ready at all times to identify the opportunities to speak the kingdom into someone's life and pray to see it manifest in your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, where you shop throughout this community. We are called to bring the kingdom. Wherever God places you over these next few days, Take the kingdom with you. Take the kingdom with you. And as a church, we must continue to identify where we can make greater and greater impact in our community and throughout this region. See, in the future, success can't just be measured on the size of the church, though I believe that's important. I believe that is important. And I believe in the coming years, get ready for this, God is gonna do something so incredible here. We're gonna have to figure out what we do with everyone. Is anybody excited about that? Does anybody just want to believe that? That this church would just be filled over and over again with people looking for their destiny in Christ. Finding him, finding the part that they play. I'm telling you, God's going to do amazing things in these coming years and you get to play a part in it. It's not just a preacher on a Sunday morning. It's not just the pastors. We all play a part in God filling this place over and over and over again so that I get a headache at night figuring out where we're gonna stick everybody. Come on, that's a headache I wanna have. But success can't just be measured by the number of people in a church on a Sunday. It's gotta be measured by the size of the impact we make in our community. Come on, we are taking the kingdom into this community. Bethel is not called to just reach a few people. This church is called to be a regional lighthouse. God has spoken that into my heart. 
Not just Littlestown, though that is where we start. That's our Jerusalem. But he is calling this church to be a regional lighthouse, to shine light over this entire region. So we must play our part in advancing the gospel right here through the week. We can also advance the gospel through our giving, through our prayer. So we can support others who are going. See, I believe when it comes to missions, you will fall only into one of two categories. You either go or you send. And so most people won't be called to go to a missions field, but all of us are called to send. Now, what's really exciting is we have just added two more missionaries onto Bethel for monthly support. So that now gives us 23 missionaries and missions organizations that we support every single month. We're able to do this because of your giving, because you give to missions. Bethel, I think it would be amazing if we added one missionary every single month for monthly support in 2024. And we can do that if we all partner together. If we pray for our missionaries, if we're all willing to give just a little bit extra to missions each month, we can support missionaries taking the kingdom all around the world. We now have 23. This year, in just the last six months, we've added four missionaries that we had to let go of a few years ago when times were really tough. God is restoring all that was lost in this house. And this house is gonna rise up to proclaim the gospel, not just here in Littlestown in this region, but all around the world. It seems improbable in this little tiny town, but God's gonna do something that we can't even imagine. This is the calling of the church. Isn't this exciting? Right? Doesn't this just beat, oh, I'm going to go to church and sing a few songs and then someday I'll get to go to heaven. This is exciting because this is what it's all about. This is the calling of the church to be a church of the kingdom that brings the truth and power of the kingdom to Littlestown in this region. We are not here to simply go to church, but to be the church and to bring the transformational power of Christ's kingdom everywhere that we go. This should be exciting for all of us. Everything we looked at today clearly shows that God's intentions were for his son to bring a new government, his kingdom to this earth. And though it would start small in seed form, that kingdom through the church would expand and continue to do so. And then one day that kingdom will be fully consummated at Christ's return. See, we can look at our world and we can say that it's too far gone, We can say, oh, it's just too difficult. We can accept a theology of a weak church and a shrinking kingdom, or we can accept God's word as it's plainly written as truth and make the decision that we will fully give ourselves to this. And then all the while preparing the next generation because they're gonna need to continue to run with this thing when we pass away. So make no mistake about it, God's kingdom is growing. If you wanna go ahead and stand to your feet, might land this plane a little bit sooner than I intended. God's kingdom is growing. What started with 12 followers of Christ in one tiny location has spread all across the globe to every single nation and has spread to billions of people. See, let's recognize this morning that the promise we looked at in Isaiah has already begun to be fulfilled. Now, I'm not saying that it's perfect. I'm not saying that we don't need more of God. I'm not saying that things aren't still really a big challenge. 
But what I'm saying is recognize that when Christ came, there was one tiny nation in the entire earth that knew the true God. And now in this moment in history, it has spread with witness in every single nation of this world. There's still work to be done. There are people that have not been reached. You may say, well, Josh, aren't things really kind of taking a step back in the United States? Doesn't it seem like we're going the wrong way? Well, the first thing I would caution you with is the gospel is global. And though some Western nations, it may seem like we're moving in the wrong direction, in many nations of the world, Christianity is exploding in growth. And if there's challenges in our world, that just gives us a reason to live, to go battle those things and take Christ forward. Second, here's another thing. I wanna encourage you with this this morning because it goes so opposite of what so many hear over and over again. If you do some in-depth research, you'll find that organizations like Barna have found that while the percentage of people in the United States who call themselves Christians has gone down, the percentage of people who claim to be born again has not. In other words, what you're seeing in this nation isn't that the church is crumbling and falling apart. What you're seeing in this nation is that there were many people who called themselves Christians but had zero witness in their life that they actually were, but they said, I'm a Christian because I'm an American. And so while those people are no longer calling themselves Christians, and so you see the overall percentage of people who call themselves Christians going down, what you're actually seeing is people that are truly born again, that number has not actually gone down. It's actually been creeping up. The church is not falling apart in the United States. There are challenges, there is darkness. The enemy is working hard to plaster it in front of us on our phones and the TV every day. The enemy wants us to look at that and say, it's too much, we need to just throw in the towel. But here's the amazing thing, is many evangelical churches, including the Assemblies of God that we are part of, continue to grow year after year after year. Once again, I tell you, the church in the United States is not falling apart. The true church continues to grow. While many mainline denominations who compromised on truth 20 years ago are really struggling, the true church that preaches the true gospel has continued to grow year after year after year. And you say, does it matter what we believe in this? Absolutely, because right believing always leads to right living. And while the enemy wants us to believe it's hopeless and throw in the towel, I'm telling you today that there is hope for our nation. There is hope for our world. There is hope for our community. There is hope for your family and your friends and your neighbors. There is hope in Christ. And what's amazing is we get to play a part in the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah that we read. If we will do our part to go forward and proclaim this great gospel of the kingdom. That is something to celebrate this Christmas. See, in the annals of eternity, what I don't want is I don't want to be part of the generation that in the annals of eternity is known as the generation that was full of fear and begged God to rescue them. I want to be part of a generation that was known as one that in the, in the face of darkness and many challenges stood with resolve and hope and faith and said, Jesus, use us to advance your kingdom in this world. Let us be that generation someday. Will you play your part in this? 
Man, for my folks that are part of Bethel and you're tied in, God's got a great work for this church. If you're here this morning and you're just visiting, maybe you're checking out some different churches and you're just trying to figure it out. Maybe you're just here because someone invited you. I want to invite you to join us and give your lives to advancing this great gospel of the kingdom. I want to invite you to join what God is doing here as you find where you fit and you find that this body comes together to be his kingdom advancing entity in this world. God's got amazing things. He's so good. So if you want to go ahead and close your eyes right now. just want to give a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. To just speak into your heart and just proclaim this to you. Where is he calling you to bring the kingdom? You have influence whether you know it or not. Everywhere you go this week, Christ is saying, will you take my kingdom with you? Will you take a chance and step out for him and just tell some people this week? Come on, let's finish off 2023 and head into 2024 with a fresh conviction to be the church and advance this truth and kingdom everywhere we go. So you would just go ahead and maybe just put your hands up this morning. This is how I want to end today. But one more thing before we do that. If you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything whatsoever, don't leave here today without getting prayer. After I'm done praying here, we'll have some folks that will come to each side of this stage, our prayer team. If you have a sickness in your body, you've been battling a disease, if you're just going through a tough time, you have a financial thing that you're dealing with, we would love to pray with you and pray over you, believing that God's gonna release his kingdom power into your life this very moment in this very day. So don't leave if you need prayer today. But right now, if you just can kind of put your hands in front of you, just in a posture to receive. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And Lord, while there's so many messages out there of darkness and doom and gloom, we choose to believe your word today. That the Messiah has come, he has established his government and his kingdom, and there will be no no end to its increase. We believe your word this morning, Jesus, when you told us that the kingdom was like the mustard seed that will grow into the largest garden plant, that you, Jesus, are the rock that will grow and fill the earth. We believe this morning, Jesus, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe this morning that we are the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so we choose faith over fear this morning. And so, Father, I pray that as individuals and as a church body, we would be full of faith in these days ahead. That we would believe your word, even if it seems improbable. And that we would walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, that we would give ourselves and we as a church would give ourselves to be those that advance your kingdom powerfully in this region. And so, Lord, we come and we give our lives to this one thing, that your kingdom would be advanced powerfully, 
that people would come to know you, lives would be restored, and this community and this region would be restored into everything that you have destined it for. We give ourselves to this one thing, Jesus. Lord, raise us up to be those that make your name famous in this region. And we proclaim that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. So Father, right now, I pray for power, for the power of your Holy Spirit to come upon each and every person in this room, to come upon this church. Lord, I pray that one year from now, when we are standing here facing 2025, that we will have such incredible testimonies in 2024 of what you have done, that it would just blow our minds if we saw it right now. That one year from now, Lord, we will be talking about mass salvations and bodies healed, businesses that are thriving and successful. Lord, that we would have schools that are living up to their potential. Lord Jesus, that every segment of this society would be impacted by you. That we would go forth into our communities with this great gospel of the kingdom. And so we give ourselves to this, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.